calling all aspiring podcasters. This is your sign to start your own podcast because we have just the right tool for you. Before we started podcasting, we really thought that everything would be such a hassle, especially the editing. But we found the best and most convenient all-around podcast tool out there, Podmachine. Podmachine will take care of all your podcasting needs. From audio production, designs, and marketing growth, all you have to do is sit back, relax, and keep creating great content that sounds professional. It's time for you to start sounding like a pro with Podmachine today. Sign up and get a free episode trial. And once you're convinced of how good it can be and how it helped us, you can start for as low as only $49.99 for four episodes in a month. But wait, there's more. If you use our code PHMURDER, all caps, no spaces, you get one free episode credit upon subscribing. Just head on to podmachine.com and let them do the dirty work so you can do the fun stuff and sound like a pro. Podcast Network Asia. This episode may include topics, references, or discussions around sexual assault, domestic violence, stalking, physical violence, or subject matters that may be disturbing to some of our listeners. We do acknowledge that this content may be difficult. We also encourage you to care for your safety and well-being. Shocking, sad, revealing, and deeply researched, PH Murder Stories podcast covers the true account of infamous killings and true crime stories from the Philippines. There's no such thing as questions, just hidden answers. Stay tuned as we revisit the inconceivable crimes that exist. Some listeners may find the following content of PH Murder Stories highly disturbing due to its graphic nature. PH Murder Stories does not condone nor promote violence of all sorts. Viewer discretion is advised. Nag-decide si Maureen na ipara ng uh, malayo-layo yung kotse from their house para kasi mukhang nag-exceed siya ng curfew. So ang balak niya ay eh, bumalik ng hindi na magising yung mga parents niya. prosecution at may na witness at meron pang ibang witnesses na naka, nakapagtala ng plate number ni Mr. Tihanki. Kaya na-establish kagad ang kanyang uh, identity. Yung umaril, nung pagkatapos na sugatan na si Maureen, inal, umalis na siya. Doon pa nga dumaan sa kwan sa harap ng pisto ko. Nagkako yung number ng number ay 566 
the 1990s in the Philippines is one of the most violent decades for gruesome crimes and killings. It featured various controversial and sensational cases that are still felt today. Moreover, the provocative nature of such cases from the 90s were mixed with political ties and privileges, making it seem like justice was not on the victim's side. Examples of these sensational incidents were the Visconde Massacre, the Eileen Sarmenta and Alan Gomez double murder, and Haltman Chapman double murder, which will be discussed later. So what do these three cases have in common? All have some sort of political backing and privileges that ordinary crime doers do not possess. In the Visconde Massacre, Hubert Webb, son of former Senator Freddie Webb, was one of the prime suspects. He was imprisoned for 17 years, but was acquitted by the Supreme Court, together with his alleged cohorts in 2010, due to insufficient evidence. Since then, the case has been cold. Whether the former senator's son and his privileged friends got away with the killing and raping of three women, or were falsely imprisoned, it is safe to assume that they had the power and wealth to advocate for their narrative. Meanwhile, the brutal slayings of Eileen Sarmenta and Alan Gomez were done by a heartless group of men led by a demonic mayor, Antonio Sanchez, and his goons who acted like mercenaries who only cared about serving at the mayor's pleasure. Even though justice was served for the murders of Sarmenta and Gomez, the ruthless men behind their demise became a representation of how politicians in the Philippines could potentially endure such evil actions. As for the Haltman-Chapman double murder, we will thoroughly discuss what happened and how the suspect's privilege reigned all over the proceedings of his crimes. But before that, please don't forget to give us a rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It would truly help benefit our show. In the wee hours of July 13, 1991, three young people, two boys and one girl, were on their way to bring their female friend home to her residence in Dasmarinas village, Makati City. Suddenly, the three encountered an angry middle-aged man that didn't seem to mind the business of others. He started snooping on the youngsters and began questioning them on why they were outside at that time of day. This incident turned into a heated altercation. Moments later, the middle-aged man shockingly pulled out his pistol and shot all three of them, which caused the lives of Roland John Chapman and Maureen Haltman. The other victim, Pussy Olavi Heleno, was the sole survivor of this infamous case. Authorities were able to find out the identity of the suspect after three witnesses came forward and described what they saw from that unfortunate day. Five days later, the National Bureau of Investigation arrested Claudio T. Hankey Jr., the son of late former Chief Justice Claudio T. Hankey, for shooting the three victims with his 38 caliber revolver. 
Tihanki was identified by three witnesses, which included Husi Leno, the sole survivor of the shooting. However, the Philippine National Police questioned the NBI and insisted that they arrested the wrong person, resulting in the suspect's early release. Things became heated between the PNP and NBI due to this confusing matter. Although, further investigations proved that the perpetrator in this case was indeed Claudio Tihanki Jr. Before the crime took place on July 12, 1991, Husi Olavi invited Roland Chapman, Maureen Holtman, and other friends for a party at his house in Forbes Park, Makati City. The party started at about 8.30 p.m. and ended at past midnight. They then proceeded to Roxy's, a pub where the three victims and their schoolmates usually hang out. An hour later, the group transferred to Vintage, another pub in Makati, where they stayed until past 3 a.m. of July 13, 1991. Apparently, bar hopping was already a thing way back in the 90s. The three came back to Roxy's pub to pick up a friend of Maureen, then went back to Leno's residence to eat. Next, Maureen decided that she needed to go home. She asked Leno to accompany her to her residence at Campanilla Street, Desmarinas Village, Makati City. Meanwhile, Roland Chapman tagged along to accompany both Leno and Maureen. Upon entering Desmarinas Village, Maureen asked Leno to drop her off at Mahogany Street, a block away from her home. She planned on walking the rest of the way to avoid her parents noticing her late-night adventure. On the other hand, Leno insisted on walking Maureen to her house to assure that she gets home safely, while Chapman stayed in the car and listened to the radio. Leno and Maureen started walking on the sidewalk along Mahogany Street. When they reached the corner of Caballero and Mahogany Streets, a light-colored Mitsubishi box-type Lancer car, driven by Claudio Tehanki Jr., came up behind them and stopped in the middle of the road. The middle-aged man came out from his car, approached Leno and Maureen, and asked, quote, Who are you? Show me your ID. Unquote. Leno thought the accused only wanted to check their identities. He reached into his pocket, took out his wallet, and handed his Asian Development Bank ID to Tehanki. The snooping man just grabbed Leno's wallet and kept it in his pocket. Meanwhile, Chapman witnessed the altercation and quickly went over to find out what was happening. He stepped down on the sidewalk and asked Tehanki, Why are you bothering us? This provoked Tehanki to push Chapman. Shockingly, the enraged middle-aged man pulled out his gun and shot him. After the shooting, Chapman was able to utter the words, Why did you shoot me? while being down on the sidewalk. In response to his friend being shot, Leno knelt beside Chapman to aid him. However, 
Tehanki insisted that he stand up and leave Chapman in his dying state alone. Next, Tehanki had his sights on Leno. He pointed his gun at him and asked, Do you want trouble? Leno replied, No. As for Maureen, she was appalled by their current situation. She became agitated and tried yelling for help. She repeatedly shouted, quote, Oh my God, he's got a gun. He's gonna kill us. Will somebody help us? Unquote. This irritated T. Hanke. He aimed his gun at Maureen, warning her to keep quiet. Then he ordered Leno to have a seat on the sidewalk. According to Leno, he had no choice but to follow T. Hanke's orders. On the other hand, Maureen could not keep herself from staying silent and became hysterical once again. Both Tianqi and Maureen played cat and mouse as the latter tried to circle around the vicinity, but eventually the perpetrator was able to catch her and made her sit beside Lena on the sidewalk. Standing over the two, Tianqi, for a moment, turned his back on them. However, he promptly decided to look back at them for the final time and shot them cold-bloodedly. Leno told the authorities that despite him being shot in the upper jaw area, he was still conscious and was able to see the suspect shoot Maureen and flee the scene. He was also able to get on his knees and shout for help as he noticed that three people were looking. The witnesses were Domingo Florese, a private security guard at a nearby residence, Agrippino Cardenas, also a private security guard from another residence nearby, and Vicente Mangubat, a stain driver from a different residence. While the unfortunate incident was ongoing, Florese and Cardenas were on the job. On the other hand, Mangubat was in his quarters, preparing his things before he went home. All three witnesses heard the gunshots Tianqi fired while at their separate posts. Furthermore, upon hearing the first shot which killed Roland Chapman, Florese got suspicious and went out to inspect the commotion. Cardenas and Mangubat were able to witness Tihanki's rampage from their posts. Aside from Leno's testimony, the other three witnesses also saw Tihanki getting away from the scene on his Mitsubishi Lancer. They were also able to see the plate number of the car, PDW-566. The three also verified that the corner of Caballero and Mahogany Streets where the grisly crime scene took place was sufficiently lit by a Meralco lamppost amid the unfortunate incident. Psst. Ako si Paul. At ako naman, Sera. Come listen to our podcast called Stories Philippines Podcast. The very first Pinoy Horror Anthology Podcast. Pakinggan ang mga kwentong nakakatakot, nakakakilabot, at hayaan mo kaming iparamdam sa iyo na hindi ka nag-iisa sa kinauupuan mo. Available in all major podcast platforms powered by Podcast Network Asia. After Tehanki rushed away from the crime scene, 
the witnesses gathered near the incident and saw a man riding his bicycle pass by them. They requested the man to report the incident to the Dasmarinas village security. The village security responded as quickly as possible and rushed Leno and Maureen to the Makati Medical Center. Meanwhile, Chapman, who was the first of the three that got shot, was already declared dead. Shortly after the village security's prompt response, the Makati police and NBI agents went over the crime scene to investigate. Based on initial reports, the suspect's car was identified as a box-type Mitsubishi Lancer with plate number PDW-566. The authorities then proceeded to check the list of vehicles registered in the Dasmarinas Village Homeowners Association. They were able to track down the license plates to Claudio Tejanqui Jr., a resident at 1339 Caballero Street. In the following days after the gruesome crime, then-NBI Director Alfredo Lim assigned Salvador Ranin, the chief of the Special Operations Group, to establish and lead a team to investigate the incident. On July 14, 1991, a day after the shooting, a group of NBI operatives conducted interviews in the vicinity of the crime scene. First, they questioned Domingo Florese and asked him to the NBI office the following day for further inquiries. Second, they interviewed Agrippino Cadenas, though he seemed reluctant to disclose any information and denied having witnessed the incident. However, the NBI did not believe Cadena's denial and came back on the evening of that same day with a subpoena that he is to appear before the NBI the following day. On July 15, 1991, both witnesses appeared at the NBI office. Flores swiftly administered his sworn statement, while Cadenas continued to deny his knowledge from that unfortunate day. NBI agents that interviewed Cadenas were becoming frustrated with his non-compliance. It made them inform SOG Chief Ranin of the troubling situation. SOG Chief Ranin then decided to interview Cadenas himself. He invited the witness to his office to convince him to tell the truth about what he saw in the shooting incident. During the meeting, Cadenas finally gave in to SOG Chief Ranin and told him about his fears of getting involved in this controversial case. He also expressed his fear for himself and his family because the suspect might harass or harm them. Afterward, SOG Chief Ranin guaranteed Cadenas that he would be protected by the NBI making the worrisome witness agree to testify. On the following day, Cardenas gave his full disclosure to the NBI based on what he witnessed during the shooting. The NBI then showed him 10 pictures of different men, one belonging to Claudio T. Hankey Jr. Afterward, 
The witness thoroughly reviewed the photos and identified T. Hankey as the shooter. As soon as Cardenas identified the suspect, SOG Chief Ranin advised his agents and the witnesses to head over to the Makati Regional Trial Court to promptly obtain a search warrant for Tianqi's vehicle. The request of the NBI was approved by Judge Rebecca Salvador. In particular, a search warrant allowing the NBI to search and seize Tianqi's 1983 Mitsubishi Lancer with a color silver metallic gray bearing the plate number PDW566, which was also identified by the witnesses. Subsequently, SOG Chief Ranin and his agents visited T. Hankey's residence at 1339 Caballero Street in Dasmarinas Village to present the search warrant. Upon their arrival, they were received by Mrs. Pilar T. Hankey, the mother of Claudio T. Hankey Jr. The NBI presented themselves properly and told the suspect's mother that they were directly ordered by then-NBI Director Lim and investigate Claudio Jr. and invite him to the NBI office for further questioning. However, Mrs. Tianqi told the agents that her son was not at the residence. SOG Chief Ranin, together with his personnel, checked the residence's garage and saw the vehicle that was identified to have been used by Tianqi to flee the shooting. The agents also requested the car keys of the vehicle, but Mrs. Tianqi told them that the keys were with her son. Without much choice, SOG Chief Ranin then requested the suspect's mother to connect him with her son. Mrs. Tianqi obliged and connected her son with the NBI through the phone. SOG Chief Ranin had a brief conversation with Claudio Tianqi Jr., in which the suspect agreed to meet with the investigators at the NBI later on that same day. After discussing with the suspect, the agents hauled Tihanki's vehicle and brought it to the NBI office for further investigation. Later in the evening, Claudio Tihanki Jr. arrived at the NBI office and was interviewed by Director Lim. The NBI asked the suspect about the whereabouts of his vehicle at the time of the shooting. Tihanki then claimed that his car was involved in an accident a few weeks back and was no longer working since then. Furthermore, Director Lim urged Tihanki to tell the truth about what really happened during the shooting, but the suspect denied his involvement. Director Lim then informed the suspect that there were eyewitnesses during the crime that identified him as the gunman. Tihanki froze with nothing else to say. Consequently, the NBI requested Tihanki to join a lineup filled with six other men to conduct identification practices. All witnesses, including Husi Leino, the lone survivor from the shooting incident, identified Tihanki as the shooter. As for Maureen Haltman, she initially lived for two months but unfortunately did not survive the gunshot wound to her temple, making Tehanki face two counts of murder for the shooting. Here's a soundbite from Case Unclosed that summarized the court proceedings. If it is the insistent of the tower, no. Wala raw siya sa Makati nung naganap ang krimen. 
Basically, ang kanyang depensya ay alibay. Eh, susubukan ko magbiyahe mula sa DASMA hanggang Barrio Capitolo Pasig. Barrio Capitolo Pasig, tutuloy ako ng DASMA. At tinatimingan ko kung gano'n ka kabali na mag-commute at i-negotiate. At nakita ko na wala pang 15 minutes ko minsan eh. At dahil madaling araw, walang traffic. Sa apila ni Tihangki, ibang mukha ng pangyayari ang nakita umano ng dalawang saksi, si Cadenas at Magubat. Kidinawit ng dalawang saksi ang adoptive father ni Morina si Anders Haltman na kasangkot di umano sa pagpaslang. Alam mo, ito na yung mga futile attempt ng, uh, ng Mr. Tihangki to avoid uh, criminal responsibility. Hindi rin ito pinakinggan ng musigado. Ginawa rin niyang dahilan na posibleng nakainom daw si Lino kaya imposibleng matandaan nito ang itsura ng nakabaril sa kanya. Alam niyo, pagka ang uh, event ay eh, unusual at saka traumatic, miski limang segundo o sampung segundo mo lang yung nakita ang tao, yun may iwan na doon sa ano mo eh, sa memory mo, sa mind mo. Ang pinakamabigat na ibigay sa laban kay Mr. Pihanki ay eh, yung testimony ng kanyang biktima mismo. Si uh, Mr. Lane at yung mga security guard na nandoon. In 1995, after a grueling courtroom battle between the prosecution and the defense, Claudio Tehanki Jr. was convicted by the Supreme Court for the murder of Maureen Holtman and Roland John Chapman and the attempted murder of Jose Olavi Leno. A decade later, Tihanki was stabbed by a fellow prisoner at the maximum security compound of the new believed prison. The attacker was said to be suffering from mental illness. He was rushed to a nearby hospital and survived the attack, unlike his two victims that suffered painful deaths. In 2008, news broke out that jolted the nation especially the family and friends of Tihanki's three victims. Then-President Gloria Macapagal Arroyo pardoned convicted murderer Claudio Tehanki Jr. because of good behavior. Opposition members began questioning GMA's decision to pardon a convicted criminal and made it seem like Tehanki got away from serving his full sentence because of his family ties. In recalling past appointees of the former president, she appointed Manuel Tehanki as a permanent representative to the World Trade Organization in Geneva, Switzerland in 2004. Manuel Tehanki is the brother of Claudio Tehanki Jr., which makes a lot of sense that they somehow requested the president to pardon him as the opposition pointed out. It is also important to point out that a sitting president may have the sole discretion to pardon convicts. But in this case, former President Arroyo may have misused her power on pardoning Tianqi from a gruesome crime that he obviously committed. We all know that the judicial system is very far from being perfect, which may have been the reason why those who crafted the 1987 Constitution 
empower the sitting president to pardon convicted criminals. We may consider that the intention behind this provision was to help the people who were wrongfully convicted. Claudio Tihanki Jr. is far from being wrongfully convicted. In fact, he is one of the most obvious killers out there that was detained just a few days after the gruesome crime he committed. The controversy behind this case was the suspect's vast political resources. Being a son of a former chief justice and brother of a well-known public figure, Claudio Tihanki Jr. blockaded swift justice and eventually got away with serving his full prison sentence because of his surname. There must be plenty of wrongfully convicted prisoners out there that deserved former President Arroyo's pardon. Unfortunately, in this case, political favors weighed more than the true essence of a presidential pardon. further updates, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at PH Murder Stories. And subscribe to our YouTube channel, PH Murder Stories. If you have case suggestions, please go to our website at phmurderstories.com and fill out the request form at File Your Blotter. Did you like this episode? Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, or if you're listening on other platforms, kindly send us a review on our Facebook page or send us a tweet. You can also share our podcast to your Instagram and Facebook stories through Spotify. We're also inviting you to join our Facebook group, PH Murder Stories The Verdict, and participate in our discourse about true crime, both local and international. This group is a safe space for true crime and mystery fans like us who want to engage in thorough discussions about the subject. To all our listeners, we hope you could support us on Patreon. If you're fond of online shopping, you can also help our team earn a small commission by clicking our Lazada and Shopee affiliate links found in the description. Any amount you contribute will enormously help support our team to produce more quality content. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.